please remember the views and opinions expressed by this show or any other show on DV Radio and its guests are strictly those of said individuals and do not reflect those of the DV Radio staff nor the staff of dysfunctional veterans. The following includes conversation relating to cryptocurrency. The information provided and discussed is strictly for educational and informational purposes only. Any use of any information is done so at your own risk. DV Radio LLC, as well as the hosts and guests of the show, take no responsibility if you wish to use any of the information in your daily life. Again, the topics discussed are strictly for informational and educational purposes only. I am Chris, the CEO. My name is Paul. I'm the COO. I am Chris, a.k.a. Little Chris, the Chief Technical Officer. My name is Zach. I'm the Chief Marketing Officer, better known as the Win Marketing Officer, because it never gets done, right? Of Affinity Innovations. Hour-long show, we will talk about Affinity, crypto in general, DeFi, blockchain technology, technology, uh, and just talk about anything, whatever the hell we feel like talking about. Get to know us at a little more personal level. Gobbling nonsense. Is there cursing rules <laughs> or anything? No, you say whatever the fuck you want. I think they'd be more worried. If you didn't curse, <laughs> love these guys. Show me the money. Hey, good morning, everybody, and welcome to another Affinity Protocol podcast. It is a beautiful Sunday morning here in Massachusetts. Weather's been great. Uh, Paul, Chris, how you guys doing? Doing pretty good. Cannot complain overall. Awesome. Awesome. Doing good. I got my coffee. It is good weather. We we ended up not going golfing yesterday, unfortunately. Yeah, this god awful heat wave is going. Yeah, that is true. It took me no joke about twenty minutes to get my coffee this morning again, and it's a mile down the road because you know me. I, I I didn't make my coffee. I went and got it at the local Dunkin' Donuts, and holy shit, are they slow, man? Uh, and then and get this: I pull into the parking lot, and you know how that one down the road gets right. It gets backed out to the street. So, yeah, and it, if it screws that entire intersection up. Yeah, so if you're not one of the first to get in there, then people like will sit outside in the street waiting to get in there. I don't like to do that. I'll drive around and I'll keep looping around to this spot to get in, or I'll park at the convenience store next door and walk over. So I was able to get in. Then when I got in, there's no parking anywhere. Now, I, I order my coffee ahead on the app, so I just run in and get it, but there's nowhere for me to park to go in there and get it. So I'm sitting in the drive-thru line waiting to see if a spot opens up. And then sure as shit, I get deep enough into the drive-thru where I can't get into parking spots and like four spots empty out. That's so, just <laughs> how it works, man. So I'm sitting in the drive-thru now and I'm like, oh, fuck. So I just get to the window and then, you know, I get my coffee that way. And it still took forever. It, it was it was a nightmare. Um, and I was rushing to do that right to get back for the podcast. So, I mean, I know you're old and all, but there's a thing called mobile ordering. That's what I did. Either curbside or pick it up inside. Oh, there's no curbside with that. It's pick it up inside, but I had to be able to park. I can't go pick it up inside if there's nowhere to put my car. Yeah, that that particular Duncan only has like literally six parking spots. Yeah. Oh, that's lame. Yeah, it's it's and it's the, the area it's in, man, you go there in the winter, you're all set. There's nobody there. Like you're good. You go there in the summer. It's where like literally everyone thinks that they're going to go make up time to leave when they're going like off the Cape and going home and stuff like that. And yeah. then it just, that intersection just gets absolutely smashed. Yeah. It's terrible, man. <laughs> it's Sunday morning and everyone's getting coffee before they head for the drive home from the weekend. Hey, speaking of smashed and vacations, um, <laughs> I wanted to tell the story about what happened with the, uh, you know, the family van on our vacation. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I I thought you were going a completely different direction where you were like, yo, let's get together. Let's get beers. It's going to be lit. Oh, that, that, kind of, that kind of smashed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm an alcoholic. I don't know. But that's what I thought you was talking about. I mean, yeah, I guess so. I mean, not for nothing, you know, just to sidetrack again a little bit, uh, Oktoberfest is out, uh, right, Paul? Yep. I already crushed a six-pack last night. That's great. I've actually never had it before. <laughs> it's it's definitely, depending on what kind of beer you like, you have to enjoy the, the malty style beer as opposed to the hoppy style beer, but 
man, there's there's nothing better than a like you know fresh release Oktoberfest that's ice cold, man. It's good. Let me let me tell you something about how I used to drink. I used to drink anything. If it contained alcohol, I drank it. <laughs> that's the Marine Corps right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, the alcohol crayons and shit. I used to drink Everclear for fun. Man, I'm surprised you didn't drink no hand sanitizer when COVID was a thing. I know. I mean, you ever heard of asparagus before? <laughs> oh, God. Asparagus is 96% alcohol. I mean, you are still in your 20s, so I get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I used to chase it with uh, 151. Right. Yeah. yeah, again, you're in your 20s. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can't be doing that stuff anymore, man. I won't wake up for three days. I'll be laid out. Oh, no, I don't. I don't do that stuff anymore. My my body's old. Military ages you like dog years. Yeah, it does. that's true. <laughs> so you sat in chairs in the chair, sir. See how are you gonna say that? Now I won't. I won't. I won't deny the last ten years of my career. Yes, I did. But the first twelve years, I worked on a flight line, man. <laughs> I wasn't sitting in a chair. We're lucky if my ass hit a chair for longer than 30 minutes while I was doing the paperwork for all the aircraft maintenance a day. All right. Well, other, other, than, other than the, than the pencil easy. pushing, other than the pencil pushing though, I right, aircraft mechanic, we can bring that right back into to how you, you manage to, I'm not going to say fix, but how you manage to <laughs> patch up your van to get back from that vacation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So let, let me, let me let me break down a story for you. So this is this is actually a, a, an interesting story and it made me furious at the time, but I can laugh about it now that everybody's safe and and, and all that. So let me start with that. Everybody's safe. Uh, we're all good. Nobody got hurt at all on either side, in my car or the other one. So we're on vacation. had a had a really nice uh, you know week long uh, you know vacation. One of our family friends has a they call it a cabin. It's it's really just a nice house that's kind of in the woods a little bit with a pond and all that nearby. So every year we, we rent it off of them and we spend a week up there and go swimming and do a few other things uh, up north in New Hampshire. So we're at the end of our vacation, literally the last day. We're heading home tomorrow. And we're coming back from uh, uh, late lunch, early dinner, uh, a little bit of shopping, and I'm heading down the highway, uh, the main highway that goes from where we were back to the house, just driving straight. And as I'm driving, I'll mind you, the speed limit's about 55, 60. And let's just say that's what I was doing uh, down this road. And I kind of look off to my left and I see a car that looks like it might come out. And I'm like, oh, please don't come out. Please don't come out. And I look right at my wife and I said, oh, he's coming out. And as soon as I said that, this car turns out, try to make a left turn onto the highway and just completely like, like they obviously didn't see me. I tried to break and kind of break right a little bit to avoid it. But because they didn't see me, they just kept going right to come out into the lane, hit the front of my, of our van and pushed us both into a parking lot. That's how hard we got hit, and, and they were not paying attention. So we got pushed into this parking lot. We got the whole family in the van, you know, all my kids, I even my in-laws in the van, and we get out. So my wife tries to do the right thing, and she gets out and, and, and approaches the, the woman in the vehicle and says, hey, is everybody all right? And the lady looks at her and says, it was your fault. We're like, wait, wait, what? Wrong. <laughs> what? <laughs> So my wife's not, you know, she's crying, kids are crying, everybody's all emotional, and I jump out of the van, and the guy gets out, and and I just start yelling, right? I, I, I'm normally not hot-headed, but as soon as I heard my wife come back and say, she said it's our fault, I, I flew off the handle. I, no friggin' way. So I start yelling at the guy. I'm like, you can't tell me that's my fault. I'm like, are you, do you understand what right-of-way is? And he's like, yeah. I had to right away. I put my blinker on <laughs> and I was about 75% of the way through that turn. Like, no, that, that doesn't matter. I said this to the guy, I said, I don't care if you were shooting fireworks out of your damn car as you're making that turn. There is nothing that gives you the right away. I was driving straight down the road. So anyway, after that, he walks away and, 
we wanted to exchange information. I said, no, nah, there's a couple witnesses there. They called the police. The cop shows up. And, and, uh, so he gets my side of the story and then he goes over to talk to the other guy and, and I'm standing there. I can, you know, even though he's talking to him, it wasn't too far away. And, and the guy's telling it. And at least the guy was honest about it, what he did. And the cop looks at him and he's like, was the other vehicle traveling straight? He said, yes. He goes, so you came out into his traveling. The guy's like, well, I mean, I was turning. I had my blinker on. He's like, you, you, you came out into his traveling. He's like, it was your fault. Then <laughs> the guy was like, oh, fine, whatever. You know, it is what it is. And then, uh, so this, the van was in a pretty bad shape, right? But it was, it was on borderline whether or not we could drive it. We got really lucky that the tire itself, uh, didn't get damaged. The, the axle, the, everything was intact. Uh, the fender's completely smashed in. The bumper has massive damage. Uh, so, we took some rope, uh, tied it up, and got it back to the house. And then from there, I just went ham. Uh, four screws, the bumper into the fender. I cut a piece of the bumper off. Uh, I took the rope, tied the rope from the fender to the bumper through the uh, through the underplate, and then just duct taped the entire thing up. So much duct tape all over this thing. Uh, <laughs> I was able to drive it the four hours back home. I was about to ask you, did you use duct tape? Because <laughs> oh, duct tape is really the answer for everything. No, of course I did, man. <laughs> Yo, you know, you know what? Like, look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say a couple of things on this one, right? First off, that dude knew you was there. It had nothing to do with him not paying attention. That comes back to the fact that, like, there is a large percentage of people that, for some reason, get this notion in their head that when they are on the fucking road, they are the most important person and car on the road. Yeah. Doesn't even don't matter if they're driving a, a great car or a piece of shit car or whatever. They think that everyone else is gonna get just get the absolute crap out of their way, and that's just not how it works. Yep. You know that dude seen you. You know that dude is just an idiot. That's that part. The second part of it is I hope to God that you guys never get into an accident again. However, if you do and you have to go back into aircraft mechanic mode, I swear to Jesus, if you don't put on like a GoPro and fucking video <laughs> blog that shit so we can put it on YouTube or whatever, like I, w- I want to see Chris get back to his aircraft mechanic roots. I would have loved to watch you do that. I would have loved to just hear the bullshit coming out of your mouth when you can't get that thing bent the right way to get that screw in like that's what i want to see like oh, that was great i'm glad you got it fixed i'm glad you guys are okay but i feel i feel like something was taken from me and it was the opportunity to see you in your in your original air force prime putting that shit back together i mean it absolutely was too so in the process mind you, I'm, I'm at a vacation home right so they have he had tools there but he didn't have a lot of tools so the, the, the drill he had battery powered, but it was, I don't even remember what volt it was like nine volt or some shit, something weak. So <laughs> to get the screws in, I'm putting screws through a bumper into a fender. So I had to charge this thing like three times because it was draining the battery <laughs> trying to get the screws in. So I'm pissed off. One of the, one of the last screws I did, I got it like, a quarter of the way in and the fucking battery died for the last time. And I'm like, son of a bitch, let it go charge it. Uh, and then I'm trying to cut a piece of the bumper off the plastic bumper. So it doesn't rub the tire, uh, on the way home. Well, I'm like, what am I going to cut this with? So we had a, uh, a, a, a handsaw down there, but it had uh, wide teeth because it's made for wood. And I'm trying to cut a plastic bumper with this thing. That's thin. It wasn't happening. So I eventually found, um, uh, snippers like gardening snippers, and I use oh yeah that. yeah like garden shears yeah and and with the long handles or, on them. Oh oh, I thought you were talking like maybe like tin snips or something like that because I would have been like okay, tin snips were perfect. Yeah, it, it, I mean it worked very similar to like tin snips, but it was like for the gardening, you know what I mean? Um, so the long handle on it so you can snip your your bushes and all that stuff. Uh, right, right, right. So I just used those and just snipped my way all the way down the edge of the bumper. It was. It was, uh, I had to get creative with some of the tools and all that, but, uh, I tried to use a hammer to bang some of it back out. That was really happening, but, uh, it's interesting. It was, yeah, I don't want that to ever happen again. I got a quick funny story. What's that mean? So, like, Chris, you know about it, but uh, I think it was like maybe like a day or two after you told us about the accident. Uh, I was, you know, going down the road, whatever, parked, uh, stopped at a red light and, 
in my rearview mirror, because I always look at my rearview mirror, like, constantly. I just see some guy just inching closer and closer and closer until he hits the back of my bumper. When I mean my significant other turned around so quickly, and, like, like you can, she was just cussing him out, like, with no words, <laughs> just hand. She's Hispanic. So, like, when I mean this dude just turned pale white, just, like, he was just fear. Like, he was just in fear mode, basically. That's because he, he got to words. see Big Chris. <laughs> you know, it was crazy part. I didn't even say anything. It was it was my girlfriend who basically scared the shit out of her. Well, she, okay, so sorry. Go she ahead. She was like five three. <laughs> yeah, but okay, but here's here's the question though. Was he was he pale white and scared because like he had Taco Bell in the truck and he was like thought that she was gonna take it, like hang like hangry Latina mode, like give me fucking food if you want me to calm down, or was she just like about to tear his fucking throat out? She was about to like almost tear his throat because her son was in the like in the. Backseat. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Nope. Nope. That that changes how you react yeah. right there. Oh yeah, absolutely. Hundred percent, man. But it was like, like when you look back at something, like hindsight, it's just fucking hilarious. Like this dude is just scared shitless. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great, man. Like you guys watched Tom and Jerry before, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, like when, uh, like Jerry or Tom, when they get scared and you just, like, it shows them just turning white. <laughs> like, just imagine that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, just a quick reminder. Uh, so I know we've had some comments in the past about this podcast and, and we are going to get into it. But I've had some comments in the past about, hey, you know, you guys have guests on or, or you're talking and, and it's, it's not a hundred percent affinity all the time. Listen. Well, well, we created this podcast. We created it because we wanted to uh, have a space where we could talk, uh, you know, live on air about some of the things that go on in our lives and some of the things about us uh, that you might not hear. We talk about this stuff in private. We wanted to actually broadcast it uh, for your entertainment. Uh, we do plenty of AMAs. We do a lot of stuff that's official business. Uh, this podcast is a little different. Even when we bring guests on, it's not just about having the guests talk about affinity. It's about talking to the guests about what they do uh, and what their interests are and how they, how they navigate, uh, through their day to day. So I just want to throw that out there and remind people that are listening to this that, um, you know, this isn't always a place to just get your information on affinity. We talk about affinity a lot. We love affinity, but this is more of a personal, uh, in-depth look into the window that is Chris, Chris and Paul. So, and, and Zach, but Zach is not here with us today. Um, but you get it. I just wanted to it's, throw that out there. I mean, it's in the intro. I know it is, but I have got, especially when we had our last guest on, you didn't talk about Affinity enough. I, we talk about Affinity all the time. And we are going to talk about Affinity actually very shortly here. Right about now, right? Um, wow, one well, thing. Yeah. Just for anybody wondering where Zach is, he is still recovering from COVID. His, basically, him and his whole family basically got COVID. So. <laughs> That's awesome. <sighs> Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it I, I wasn't going to say it, but yeah, he sounded like dog shit, dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he got pretty, hit pretty hard, but he is definitely, definitely much better than he was a few days ago. All right, uh, let's see. We wanted to, what were we going to talk about? We're talking pre-show, and what were we going to talk about, Paul? We want to mention first about, um, oh, we want oh, to no, talk about, a little bit about how, that. How about until we were up till two in the morning? tweaking the corporate website yeah and now we're already on the podcast oh man we made a lot of progress so a lot so i'm pretty stoked about that when it once it <laughs> now that we're on this side of it uh but yeah it was probably a good uh three hours or so maybe close to three hours of us just uh yeah tweaking things and coming up with language and all kinds of good stuff uh, and uh another shout out to uh revelo uh, for hooking us up with graphics, uh, right before going on vacation, I believe, uh, today or tomorrow heading out and hooked us up with a couple last minutes as well. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, yeah, my, 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 my lovely wife who can sleep through, uh, probably the, the, the TV with the sound bar being on full volume Every single time I come upstairs to go to bed when it's like when I've been up late, man, all I got to do is like lift the the edge corner of the cover just to get like my foot under the covers and she's up and she gets up last night and she looks at her, <laughs> her phone to see what time it is. And she goes, 
are you just now coming up? And I was like, yes, but we're damn near done. And all, all she does is look at me and, and she just goes, well, that took a long time. Do you guys suck at IT or what? Just because oh. she, she loves doing little shit like that, right? Yep. I just look at her and I was like, woman, I swear to God, I'll push you off the bed right now. And she just rolls over and goes right back to sleep. <laughs> so I just, I just wanted to throw that tidbit in there for, for how it was when I was dragging my ass upstairs to go to bed after we were finally done, like yawning and walking into the wall and banister on the stairs and stuff. I just got to get thrown the typical jab from my wife about us sucking at IT or something because it <laughs> takes a while. Oh man. Yeah. That's. That's why, yeah, because I know my wife likes to take jabs at me like that too, especially when, uh, and she knows what she's doing, especially when I, I say, oh, I got to go, you know, have a meeting or we're talking about whatever. And, and she likes to, uh, everything that has to do with crypto just to get under my skin. She always calls it Bitcoin. Oh, you're going to do your Bitcoin stuff. <laughs> <laughs> my, my wife does the, does the like, and, and she's she's obviously joking because she you know she'll tell you seriously like she knows how to turn the computer on and that's about it yeah but like every now and then she'll like she'll get the, the lucky I fixed something right so like there was I mean it was months ago something like that but I'm at work she texts me because she works remotely and she's like hey I you know internet's not working or something like that I lost connection and like whatever I was doing at work I was busy I didn't get back to her right away so she finally she finally texts back like. 15 minutes later and she goes never mind it's fixed so by the time i finally get around to answering this text i'm like well yo what was wrong because like if if you know if you had to send a reset signal or you know have comcast send a reset signal or something like that like even if it's only a 10 15 minute outage i'm calling they ask because fuck it if i'm paying for the internet service they're gonna fucking give me any kind of credit back whenever they don't have it available when they should but yep, yep. she hits me back with this text I turned it off and turned it back on and then immediately sends another text going, I should get into it. I'm sitting there. Well, right. And I'm sitting there staring at the text, reading it. And I'm like, you know, ha ha. Yeah. I joke around that. I joke about that a lot too. And then the next text comes in and, and it says, that's all you do. Right. <laughs> no, it's just that only about 70% of the time. That was, <sighs> I mean, which is not really wrong. Most of the time, you just turn it on and turn it back off. Well, turn it off, turn it back on. Sometimes it works. I, I know, but every time she says, I turn it off and turn it back on, and she says, that's all you ever do, right? I always have to throw in there, did you wait 10 seconds? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Hey, so last, last thing on a personal note is I am going pretty much immediately after this podcast to go finally watch Top Gun uh, with the wife. So... My kids spent last two nights with their grandparents. Um, so last night and tonight. So last night, obviously, we were doing a lot of work. I uh, didn't really have an opportunity. I did go get my Oktoberfest, and we took a trip to uh, the mall uh, to pick up a couple things. But then after that, it was all work. So today, uh, the wife and I are going to go see a movie. Finally, go see Top Gun uh, right after this podcast. So pretty hey, your wife that. trying to babysit a three-year-old so that I can go see it with my wife? <laughs> Hey man, bring him over. I can't. I can't promise you that he's not going to be corrupt when you get him back. Yeah, you know what? As soon as you said, "Yeah, bring him over," I immediately knew where that was going to go. So <laughs> never mind. Never mind. <laughs> I'd rather dealing deal with him complaining that the movie's too loud and take him to see Top Gun myself. I'll have him out there cutting my dead grass. <laughs> no, because all all you're going to do is be all you're going to do is be like, Hey man. So your dad told me he's going to get you mad toys when he comes to pick you up. Yep. <laughs> and all, all, all I'm going to do is show up. And cause that kid remembers everything. He's going to come out and be like, uncle Chris said, you have toys. I'm be like, what? I don't got toys. And he's, it's going to cause the biggest meltdown in the world. <laughs> You'll have more ice cream in one afternoon that he's ever had in his life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You ain't, you ain't never babysit my kid. <laughs> you know, if, if you go out of town and, and your wife hanging out, I might be like, Hey, you want you want to watch the the spawn and she'll she'll be good. She ain't gonna feed ice cream to him, but but you, uh, uh-uh, man, I, I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> you ain't getting back. He's gonna be super hyper. <laughs> hey, I got yeah, these I pixie sticks. <laughs> 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 oh shit, that'd be great. All right, so <laughs> enough with the shenanigans. Uh, I know. Uh, 
Yeah, like I said, we, we, we talked pre-show. I know one of the things going around uh, crypto space right now, we just want to touch on it a little bit because I think it's it's interesting. I know, Paul, you, you mentioned it is um, uh, things, what's going on with uh, Tornado Cash. Uh, so I just want to have a quick discussion on that uh, as to what that is, what is actually happening, um, and, and what the significance is that is to uh, DeFi in the space. And it's a, it is a, it's kind of a polarizing conversation, right? So not to give opinions or nothing if you want to, but, uh, really with the premise of what tornado cash is. And then the, the other part of that story is how the government's getting involved. So, so Paul, that's, and, and that's, so that's the big, big takeaway from that, yeah. right? Is that, you know, you look back to, uh, and I'm, I'm just throwing out rough numbers, so anyone that wants to fact check and correct me, by all means, go for it. I'm just guesstimating here. But you look back about like four to five years in crypto. Government did not give two shits about crypto. They understood yeah. it's there, and that's basically the extent of, of government involvement, right? And now you move all the way up to where we are now, where like a, a previous Affinity Protocol we covered – um I don't remember the name of the the project, but it was like a, an NFT project or something like that that rugged. Where I think Department of Justice was actually looking into arresting and, and prosecuting those guys that rugged. And then you look at Biden came out with the executive order talking about um, basically getting the U.S. government ready to to enter the, the crypto world, however long it's going to take, because you know the government works so fast. <laughs> All that, you know, all that fun stuff. And then you have something like like Tornado Cash, where this is a, a huge, huge step in from the government to really showcase the fact that one, we're watching two, we're going to do something about it for something we don't like. Yep. And, and and three and, and most important is not necessarily to, to say, hey, you're not safe, but basically to show projects that are coming out like, look, we do know how crypto works. Yeah. They might not have flaunted it. They might not have come out and, and, you know, published technical details about it, but like they, they know what they're doing because they targeted a specific project that was doing a specific action on the blockchain. And they basically said, no, this is not the way to do it. There's good news in this. They could have gone full fucking tilt, right? Yep. Like, you know, like flashback to when um you and, and, and Silva were playing that uh that demolition derby game, right? And you were like, yo, I came around the corner and just full fucking send it right there. They could have come out swinging. They could have come out swinging. They could have gone after a lot of different people. They they probably have a list of all sorts of different rug pull projects that they haven't done any kind of paperwork on or any kind of, you know, seeking justice or anything like that. They could have come out full fucking tilt and gone after everybody but they didn't they went they it looks like from from the surface aspect they said hey this shouldn't be done this way whether you agree with it personally or not the government doesn't think it should be done this way and they swooped in and and that's that so the the big takeaway from that though is that the government is no longer ignoring crypto it is no longer just going to be hey if you offer empty better pay your taxes this is now government is stepping into this space good or bad you need to be aware of it yeah so, all right chris i just want to say something a little on the tornado cash just to clarify on how exactly is the government doing this yep. so all in all your privacy is still safe um the way that thing they're basically targeting tornado cash is they basically took all the contract addresses, wallet addresses that tornado cash uses it. And they basically blacklisted them. And then you may be wondering how will that actually work? So when you're creating whether it's, whether it's a contract, a DAT, whatever it may be, you have to call in the node of Ethereum, Binance, whatever. Yep. And essentially, if the node itself is in the United States, they're going to have to abide by that regulation or they will face penalties. So if that node is in America, they're going to have to blacklist those wallets as well from being able to talk to that node. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's a good point, right? Because I think when we when we talk about blockchain and we talk about all this stuff, we we don't talk enough about nodes. Right. And that's really what makes the blockchain work. You know, it's it's. It's literally, you know, whether it's virtual or hardware or whatever, uh, it is computing power that's 
helping, you know, it's controlling that chain, allowing the, the blocks to move forward and, and matching up all the data and all, everything else that's involved in the blockchain. So you're right. If those nodes are physically or virtually located in the U.S. using U.S. IP addresses, then they do have to abide by those laws. And, you know, a couple of things like, like Paul was mentioned, you know, with, with Tornado Cash, no matter how you feel about it, because, you know, let's be honest, there's, there's a couple big reasons why people use it. One is either to just try to remain anonymous for your own personal reasons, whatever that may be, um, or scammers use it, right? They use it to uh, do whatever they're going to do and then move those funds so they're not trackable. The latter part is the one people have problems with. The government has problems with both. Uh, so that's why it's kind of a polarizing subject because everybody hates rug pulls. Everybody hates scams, naturally. Uh, and Tornado Cash has been a big tool for people to hide those funds. Uh, is that Tornado Cash's fault? No, it's not their fault. That's not what they designed it for, I hope. Uh, but bad actors are going to use whatever tools they can to do whatever they're going to do. Uh Privacy is a big thing on blockchain, so I can respect that piece of it. Uh, with the government, going back to what Paul was saying about off-ramp and paying your taxes, that is kind of a big reason why they're doing it, in my opinion. Uh, they haven't come out and said exactly that's why, but they never will. Uh, but when you push it through a mixer uh, and make it difficult to track who actually originally owned those funds, it makes it obviously very difficult to track who owes those taxes. Uh, so... That's one big reason why, and and I would have personally liked to see the government, if they're going to make any kind of move, big move, to go after the rug pulls and all the scams first. Uh, I, I guess if they're going to target this because this is the way to move the money after a scam, kind of like going for, you know, rather than hit the small dealers, you always go after the, the kingpin. Uh, but... Really? Well, that's, so, so that's the thing, though. That, so that's the, and, and I'm not going to comment and say that, that this is definitely what the government is or isn't doing. Yeah. But that's that, that's part of the problem, right, is you, you keep taking down the small fish, the bigger, the you know, the kingpin, like you said, is just going to keep churning out small fish because the ability to do it is still there. Simple yeah. as that. If 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 they're doing it smart and they are going to actually start coming after people that are, are stealing money in the crypto world, they have to start big because it's it's not just about taking down the kingpin so that, that the, the the structure and the process is, is continually there for people to just continue to build upon and build upon. But, you know, even if you look at, at wars in general, what is the U.S. military's typical initial offensive strategy is shock and awe. So yep. why come out and be the Department of Justice and come after a bunch of small fish that are using a particular service to to blend and hide funds to be able to to pull off these scams why not come out and and you know like just straight big dick energy like look what we can do get fucked yeah yeah i can i can see that um uh, but uh, either way i think even and i don't know the full story on it uh this was just a headline i read and i'm not going to be one of those people that reads headlines and <laughs> speculates on all kinds of stuff but i thought i read that uh, one of the head people involved was arrested. Anybody know anything on that? Uh, someone got detained in Amsterdam. Alleged tornado cash developer arrested in Amsterdam. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know the full story on it. I don't know what they were actually doing. Um, but without knowing that full story, all I'm saying is anybody else that's out there scamming, uh, watch your back, uh, because hopefully at least it goes down that road and they don't start getting into things that they really, really don't need to get into. Um, I hope they start going after the scammers more though. That is a hundred percent needed. Um, and I think everybody could agree on that. Um, you know, we don't want a whole lot of government interjection, but that is one place that I think we need it. Uh, it's getting out of hand. And, and I did have a conversation with a couple people, uh, very recently, especially in light of other things that were going on. Uh, that I, I think one thing that I, I can't stand seeing right now in, in DeFi is uh, kind of the lack of helping each other, right? We talk about helping each other, but really there's, there's a, a, a very big gap there in, you know, saying, okay, well, there's a scam going on. Uh, rather than trying to help people, uh, we look and hope for failure. And we got to remember this is people's money. 
uh, at risk. This is other people's funds that, that may be, unfortunately, even though we say it all the time, everybody says it, don't, don't invest what you can't afford to lose. There are tons and tons of people out there that do. They, they invest their, uh, you know, part of their, uh, food money or rent money or whatever it may be. Um, yes, it's their fault for doing it, but at the same time, it's not like they deserve to lose it on a scam or, anything else that happens nefarious or even, uh, you know, something that wasn't nefarious, maybe a mistake. Uh, we need to do a better job as a, as an entire community, not as an affinity community, but as a crypto and DeFi community to help people out. And if you see something that can be fixed or you see a rug pull going down or you see whatever it is to try to be the person to step in and help not be the person that sits back, watches it happen and then laughs at people and says, screw you, you got what you deserve. That's That to me, I, I don't know, I hate seeing that. Uh, but it, I mean, it's the opposite of you and Aoife. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of it comes to, you know, we are, more so than people realize, we are in a lot of different silos, right? You have a lot of different, not even necessarily token or company or project community silos but even like some of them that are working together are in their own silos and then the other groups it's just this weird dynamic and you see it more and more especially when you're a project lead and in in uh or a company uh person that's trying to you know form these partnerships and all that you really kind of start seeing that friction it becomes more apparent um and i can't well, stop seeing it that friction is is grows exponentially too when you have something like a, a long term bear market. Like sure, yeah. the last you know couple of weeks, crypto has has had some nice weeks, but a long term bear market can can bring the best out of groups. It can also bring the worst out of groups because now you know it, it's no longer hey I'm going to show you that you know we have more innovative technology than another project because of of whatever reason. But it's now look I'm better because they are worse, and that's like you know that that's people fighting tooth and nail to protect their project's liquidity because, you know, look at how many uh, token mergers or liquidity mergers in general over the past three to four months have happened during this bear market. And it really has to do with just fighting for that survival and who's going to push ahead. And we like to, you know, keep the mentality of, look, we're just going to grind and we're going to grind and we're going to grind and we're going to keep churning out good stuff so that our holders maintain the, uh, the, the focus that we have and they maintain, you know, at every, every site of what we have coming out and they say, Hey, well, I'm going to hold on because this is going to turn around and be good as opposed to, you know, selling based off of scared money. And that, I mean, honestly, that's what pits projects to start stupid little squabbles is I have to protect my liquidity and that's it. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's it's the unfortunate reality. Uh, not everybody sees it on the surface, but uh, I, I hope that changes, especially, uh, you know, as the market changes and all that. But, uh, you know, we, we start to see the light at the end of the tunnel where it looks like things are going to start getting great and, and people are working together. And then, bam, something comes out of nowhere and, and shakes things up and rocks the boat again. Um, and, and, you know, Affinity is here to try to do what we can uh, to kind of move that forward. But at the same time, uh, we're not getting involved in, in mess, right? If it's negativity, I'm not, and I say I'm, but I really mean all of us here uh, are not getting involved in that. Uh, I'm just not doing it. So uh, anyway, so moving on, we got, you know, about 20 minutes left here of the show. I do want to talk about, because we did obviously talk about Tornado Cash. We're talking about some other things that are not so great that happened. I don't think we've spent too, enough time talking about security and what we're going to be doing in that forefront with the pen testing and, and everything else that we're going to be bringing to light here uh, over the next, uh, you know, couple months or however long, uh, however long it takes for us to uh, get things together and start taking our clients. But uh, with everything going on, I want to take some time to talk about what we are doing and what we aren't doing with uh, that, that particular venture uh, part of affinity. Uh, Chris, I know uh, with all of us here, we're all very big on uh, security. We've all been in the security realm. Um, I know you and Paul uh, have been in security a little bit more than I have, um, even though I've been in it longer. Uh, but you guys have focused on it. 
more than I have, especially in recent days. Uh, Chris, I know you love security. So if you want to uh, kind of tee us off here and, and talk about uh, some of the pen testing stuff that we're, we're talking about doing, what it actually is, and, and anything else you want to say about it. Yeah, uh, no problem. So to start off first, I'm going to describe there's three types of pen testing you can do. There's black box, gray box, and white box. Uh, white box is if, as if we were testing our own contract. We know the ins and outs of our contract. There's, you can find security vulnerabilities like that, but it's not really efficient because it's more internal. Gray box is essentially you know a little bit about the contract or you know a little bit about the application, whatever it may be, but at the same time, there's still unknowing behind it. So it's as if uh, you hired a third party and you give them basically the information, the layout of your network, but you don't give them the full details. That's more gray box testing. And then you have black box testing, which is essentially there is no knowledge behind that. You are going in blind. And that is more towards what Affinity is going to be doing. We're going to be doing more black box testing. So when a potential customer comes to to like, hey, can you test this application for us? We will be going in blind because there will be no point in testing gray or white box because a a majority of the exploits that we've seen in crypto so far have been from external actors. Of course, there's been insider threats, but majority that we've seen has been external. And within crypto, once the contract is launched, unless it's a proxy contract, you cannot change it. It's immutable. It's, you can't change it. So black box testing would make more sense in that sense. Same thing with the uh, dApps, web applications, whatever it may be. Black box testing just makes more sense because mm-hmm. The majority of the people who are using the application will be external users. Um, yep. With it, I don't know how deep you want me to get into because I can go in pretty deep <laughs> on testing. Well, well, we do have limited time, but I do want to, and, and plus most people, obviously, the, the real technical details uh, will go over a lot of people's heads, but we can do a full yeah. episode or something or an AMA or something on that sometime. But yeah, cool. I, I want to get into what it is that, um, you know, so obviously you have uh you know scripts versus uh active testing and a lot of different things that you know methods uh, to the madness so to speak uh so that's okay, kind of I want to cover all right so um if you look at no knock at other uh pen testing companies uh but a lot of pen testing companies in crypto that we've seen they're using more automated tools to basically test these applications uh the affinity llc pen testing service Essentially, we're trying to get more granular, more down in the dirt, more dirty to test those applications, more manual. Uh, basically, as if you like you see the movies, somebody just sitting behind a computer, like, oh, I hacked into the mainframe. That's yeah. essentially what we're, what we're trying to do. We're really trying to get that granularity, not really that automated tool set. Because automated tools are great, but sometimes they can miss things that a normal human eye or normal human knowledge won't miss or knows more about well and so that's so that's the, the only problem with, with an automated test is you think of it like an antivirus scanner right like obviously they have a lot more uh, advanced heuristic scanners and stuff like that but a lot of automated tests or vulnerability scanners are, are doing one thing which is looking at you know specific signatures or specific blocks of code to be present or not be present and that's what they go off. That's, you know, and that's that's great for finding current known exploits, but that is not good for finding exploits that haven't really been been used or haven't been found yet. And that's why the, the pen testing part is very important. Like, sure, the vulnerability scan is great. The automated tools are great because it, it covers a, a pretty good basis. I mean, realistically, a really good basis of, of what kind of potential threats you're dealing with. But that's where the, that human factor comes in because, you know, something like, like hacking penetration testing is, is also, it's a work of art, realistically. It's not just a, there's not just a science behind it. Obviously there's logic that you have to find based off of software language and, and stuff like that. But it's really an art to see how exactly you can try, but try to go in or elevate privileges or, you know, call a function in a contract that really shouldn't be contract in a different way. And that's something that, um, that, that automated tools and a vulnerability scan just, just isn't going to find if there's something that no one has ever done before. That's a good point. Really good point. 
And and you're right, yeah. So when you when they these scripts are written for vulnerability scans, they're written with mostly prior knowledge of of things that should be looked at. Uh, but you, you that's only going to get you so far. So uh, yes, we're definitely going to be using vulnerability scans, but that's going to be like a baseline, right? You do the scans, and then you go ahead and move on with manual testing and and try to exploit in different ways. Uh, and just to I want to I want to touch on just the organizational part of that too, as far as um, what that looks like, what is it, you know, cause when you look at, okay, well, you're going to be, uh, quote unquote, hacking people's stuff, mad um, paperwork, a lot of paperwork, <laughs> right? So the first step is getting with the people that are requesting this stuff. And then there is a defined, uh, drawn out, spelled out list of applications, um, you know, contracts or whatever it may be that we are targeting with their permission. Uh, what happens is there is uh, attacks that are made from our end to try to exploit things without actually taking advantage of those exploits. The idea is to find what somebody else could do and would do and then stop there and then report the findings to the individual that requested the test. So that that is what no when you when you hear somebody talk about uh, you know white hat hacking and then black hat black hat is obviously, uh, nefarious typically, and, and they're the ones looking to exploit and, and do everything that's uh, not good. Um, and then White Hat is uh, the people that are looking to help. They're looking for those vulnerabilities, report them back, uh, help people fix them, all that good stuff. So those are terms that you hear a lot, uh, kind of buzzwords in, in, the, uh, in the industry. But when you do hear it, that's really kind of the big difference between the two. Um, did you have some, Chris? Yeah, I was going to say, make note, there's a difference between black box testing and, and I know you know, but just for the yeah. crowd, black box testing and black hat. So when somebody says black hat, think of person, black box, think of the type process. of process. Yeah, process. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's kind of how it's going to work. I also do want to mention that nothing is 100%. Uh, so when we talk about what we're going to be doing and what we're not going to be doing, uh, one of the things that we're not going to be doing is guaranteeing anything, right? So we are going to give reports. We're going to give potential fixes on things, tell you what was done. We are not ever going to guarantee somebody 100% uh, that they are unhackable or that uh, they're, they're bulletproof or anything like that. We're not going to give any kind of seal of approval. Uh, we're going to give a report. Uh, you're looking for that extra layer of security. You're looking for... Uh, somebody to test your your uh, system availability and exploitability, and that's exactly what we're going to do. Um, so right, well, and and so so here's the thing with that too, and this is not trying to to shift liability or anything like that. Yep. But the truth of the matter is, whenever whenever you get into a relationship like this, when you're dealing with penetration testing. And the, the types of testing that's going on is one of the very first things you do with a potential client is you, you basically come up with a very, very large document that has extreme detail on the scope of the test. And that is very, very important because that is basically where the line in the sand is drawn. So, you know, it, it can be, say someone comes to us and they say, Hey, look, we just want you to pen test a contract. It's on test net. Just fuck this goddamn thing up. Well, no one's going to lose anything if, if, that thing is tested on testnet and found to have massive vulnerabilities, right? Because it's just launched on testnet. In that sense, yep. there is no line drawn in the sand. You just go to, to freaking town, right? But say someone has a D app that is live or a web application that is live and they want it tested. They are going to, as a company, draw a line in the sand to say, if you get to X point, you have to stop, which is great. But where that line in the sand is drawn is also going to determine the amount of security that it, that goes with that pen test and goes in the report. Because let's say, for example, that someone says, well, hey, I just want you to see if you can connect to our web, uh, you know, our uh, our web server, right? The, where our website hosted, yep. whatever it may be. Okay, well, hey, you left Telnet open, I can connect. But that's where the line in the sand is drawn. So now I have proved I can connect and that is all they wanted me to do. They didn't even get to see a fraction of the stuff that can be done because I have achieved this connection that they didn't want me to achieve. So it's incumbent on on the client to take that report and com either A, completely close that gap, 
or B, close it to what they deem is necessary and then have it retested. Because if not, the report is only going to show whether that one specific part of the scope test was a fail or a pass, and that's it. So that that scope document really, really, really either hinders a test or can lead to finding more information to put in the report, more detailed information. And that's where you get to that really super granular level. So from a business aspect, it's very important that to understand that just because someone says, hey, I want to be a client of, of your pen testing service, that doesn't mean that you're about to have a product pen tested start even starting in a week because there's a lot of documentation and le- uh, you know legal paperwork that has to be filled out essentially saying like hey we are going to access your systems you are not going to get mad that we access our your systems because we are going to stop accessing your systems or stop doing anything at whatever predetermined line in the sand you draw we will stop we will let you know and then basically you have to provide us input on where to go next and without input that's depending on exactly what we're testing based on the scope. That is where we stop and that's it. Yeah. And that's one of uh, the two most important things in the, in the functionality of this whole thing is, is that line in the sand that, that predetermined, what are we going to do? What do you want us to do? What are you, what are you looking to accomplish um, in a, in a well spelled out legal document? The second piece of that is again, like I said, uh, nothing is, is guaranteed. So, the reports that we give, uh, it is up to that company or that project to share with their community and the public or not. But we are not going to give anybody a stamp of approval saying this site is protected by, uh, you know, Affinity Innovations pen testing or anything like that because the, the code can change. Uh, people can change, especially on the front end. Uh, they can change things uh, with, without getting back to us or anything like that. So, Really, we're going to give them a report just like you would see any other report, even even when they get audits and all that, you get an audit report. Um, but we can just, all we can do is say at that given moment, at that time, uh, this is what we found and these are the changes you need to make. Uh, and this is, and that's what it is. It's black and white. Uh, if that, that individual uh, project or company decides to share that report publicly, we will not share it publicly. That's, that's not our, our uh, uh, that's not on us. They're paying for it. That's their report. It's going to remain private with them. Uh, but we'll give them a document that they can share publicly if they want that shows, uh, you know, maybe we'll have one that's not in so much detail, but just a general outline of, hey, this were no vulnerabilities found, or we found, you know, minor vulnerabilities and there are fixes available, that kind of thing. Uh, but at no time are we going to ever guarantee anybody's uh, application contract or anything is 100% safe. We're just going to report our findings report the fixes and it's up to them to share that information or not easy enough. Yes. Cause again, this is very important to note that I do not care what you think. If you are in it, uh, nothing is a hundred percent. Uh, it doesn't matter if you are a multi-billion dollar company, if you are uh, a state, meaning a government, uh, anything like that, nothing is even close to a hundred percent. It's just, it's, it's not, <laughs> That's not reality. Yeah, because yeah, that doesn't account for insider threats, which actually make up for a majority of cybersecurity attacks in recent years. Well, in, insider threat and, and social engineering is a big one too. And, yeah. and again, that's where that's where scope comes in into detail a lot because it, I'm, I'm not going to say anything from experience, but you can you can have a, a company that says, "Hey, I want to get pen tested." And there's a very, very small, especially if they want a a black box test, there's a very small amount of people that actually know that the test is going on or that the test is happening, right? And they can essentially say yes or no to if they want to have social engineering included in the mix. So say you have a CEO, CEO and a CTO that are the only two that know that, hey, my company is about to go through a rigorous black box test. No, that's no one's stopping unless they define otherwise and say no social engineering attempts. No one is stopping that that group conducting the penetration test to trying to get some sort of phishing or some sort of social engineering attempt on the COO, the CMO, there, you know, anyone else that's part of the organization that especially that's high up and use that information that they may or may not get to get critical access to systems, stuff like that. And, and again, that's one that speaks volumes about how important that the scope is whenever you are going through the paperwork and determining exactly what you're going to test. And two, it just shows that social engineering is a very, very successful form of, a, of an attack vector 
not even just on a specific project, but on individual people. Look at how people get their wallets compromised. It isn't typically because the the person with the wallet is doing something they they shouldn't do where they just go to a random website and their their wallet is exploited. It's typically based on a social engineering attempt that gets someone else the access to their wallet. So that's part of it as well is that, again, depending on the scope, you can include a lot of stuff that isn't just code review or isn't just attempting to gain access or elevate privileges. You can be working a whole different attack vector of social engineering and trying to get access that way. If I, if I'm saying, Hey, I'm going to, make a fake account and I'm going to, you know, hit up this COO, you know, just like how the, the crypto mant fake accounts on telegram <laughs> hit me up for BNB all the damn time. If I can lead a successful social engineering attempt on a high level person at an organization and get them to come to my fake website and use their wallet or one of the team walls or something like that. And I get that, I get that signature, or I get that private key. Then that opens up a whole host of problems that have absolutely nothing to do with code, nothing to do with code in the contract or anything like that. That whole host of problems is now misguided information or lack of training internally to that project. And that is something that can be brought to light with these reports that come at the end as well is that, Hey, your employees suck. Yeah. I with you know, I within 10 minutes was able to get a private key for you guys' marketing wallet. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, you bring, that's a really great point too, right? Because we, especially with uh, us being in, in DeFi, we talk about contracts so much and we talk about code and, and, and everything else. Um, that's, that's one thing that can't be done through vulnerability scans, right? You can't vulnerability scan social uh, engineering. Uh, sure, you can create skip, uh, scripts that send out mass emails and phishing emails and, uh, you know, things like that. But uh, physically, you know, reaching out to somebody with a, a fake account and, and trying to have a conversation and social engineer somebody that way uh, or spoofing uh, websites or, or whatever else it might be uh, is something that needs active participants in not something that you can just run a script and scan for. So that you don't see that. There's not a whole lot of that. And, and, and what you're saying is true. One of the biggest things we see in the space right now is people creating fake accounts or support accounts or whatever it may be. You know, we can have part of our packages to go into their discord and pretend to be a support uh, and see how many people fall for it. Obviously try to stop them before they send any personal information, um, but just see how many people believe that we're a support account or anything like that. Uh, these are things that are, are extremely important and happen every day that are not part of a quote unquote audit of a contract. It, it's, it's just, it's not full scope. And that's, and realistically that what it comes down to for, for a, a successful penetration test. And again, emphasis on that. Nothing is always, you know, going to be 100%, but what it comes down to for a successful penetration test is really looking at every single attack vector you can think of defining the exact scope for that vector and then conducting the test. And sometimes in order to meet or get up to that line in the sand on the scope, you have to use some of the automated tools, you know, the vulnerability scanner and stuff like that. And then beyond that, you can use the ingenuity if you're looking for the, the IT exploit version of it. But that having that, that scope entail social engineering is just as important in, in my opinion, because you are always going to have people that slip up. It happens. It doesn't necessarily mean it is, it is that person's fault, but you're going to have people slip up. It is what it is. Sometimes you can get uh, companies to do a black box test that literally only focuses on social engineering. And they do that to, to test their employees, to test their higher ups, to make sure that those guys are doing what they're supposed to do. I mean, look at Sony. Sony was, you know, a huge problem when uh, I can't remember what the position of the person was, but that was a huge uh, uh, wailing attack that that got someone high up in Sony to slip up, which led to a massive, massive data breach. Yeah. And that's that's how it is. And you would hope that even if that is is or isn't included in the scope, that at least knowing about it is an eye opener enough to some people to say, hey, look, you know, even if we have to just sit down for a couple of minutes amongst ourselves, amongst the, the higher ups of, of the project, we need to make sure we're being smart. We need to make sure that we verify information in case there is some sort of fake account that comes at us with an email or a text or whatever. Like 
we need to have a, a protocol in place, a disaster recovery plan in place for in case someone does try to make one of these attempts so that we can immediately talk with each other and either validate or invalidate the information to make sure that we don't slip up. And that's one of the biggest things that happens, especially in crypto, because of how fast it moves. How many times is there information that comes out that you have to react to so quickly that you really, really put yourself in a bad position of of getting the reaction part done without putting in the research and, and verifying the information? And that gets dangerous, especially on the social engineering level. Because if I if I go to a project leader, a second in command at a project, and I make it look legitimate enough that I'm coming from a different account that says your your liquidity pool is being drained or you know some BS like that, you've connected you you connected here, you need to revoke access or whatever, and they go to that fake D app and instead of revoking access, they actually give me access. Well, bam, I just got your your you know deployer or your marketing wallet or or whatever it may be, and that's that's it. Your project's done now. But they go they go based off of that fear to say, if you don't do this, your project is going to be in the toilet. And there are going there is always going to be people in crypto, especially with how fast it, it rolls, that are going to be subject to attacks like this because they want to move quickly because crypto moves faster than any other piece of technology I've ever seen. Yeah, and that was that's a good piece of information right there, man. Uh, everything you just said, because let's be honest, right, and especially as of recently, there are a whole lot of projects out there that uh, are starting up that do not have their own internal dev team. And a lot of these people running these projects don't even have a great deal of IT experience. Uh, so even just creating something as simple as, like like you said, like a fake uh, fake D app or, or website uh, and insti- instilling that fear. And then when they connect up, they can even get a message, something similar to just like, you know, you screwed up, you know, like we don't actually grab their data, but just... You know, uh, like when you get those emails at work, some some companies like our our company has an internal uh, through security that every once in a while will just send you a phishing email that's generated by a third party or internally. And if you re- respond to it, it doesn't do anything malicious. It just sends you an email back saying you failed. Uh, you fucked up. So, you know, even doing things like that. We're going to have to get the original Jurassic Park guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's going to be what pops up. Yeah. So rather than grabbing, actually grabbing people's private keys, uh, we could actually just have, uh, you know, some some fake software that when they do connect up, uh, it just gives them a pop-up saying, hey, if this was an actual attack, you would have been fucked. Uh, you know, and, and, and this is all part of what we can do uh, as opposed to just doing... Uh, an audit you know audits are great but they're only going to get you so far uh there needs to be more work being done and that's that's exactly what we're trying to do on that note does anybody else have anything else they want to add to that or any other subject uh as we wind down here it was a pretty fast hour uh but you know we covered a lot of stuff in in another great affinity protocol podcast I got nothing. I can hear the kid running around upstairs, which means <laughs> my wife's patience is probably running thin yeah right. <laughs> Yep. Uh, and I'm going to go watch that movie here uh, very shortly after after we cut off. Um, and Chris, you got anything else, buddy? No, nothing else for me. You guys basically hit the nail on the head. And actually, I'll, I'll just say one one thing for any for anyone that's listening to this. We are not trying to instill a, a certain amount of fear and make you completely overprotective of everything you do in an online world or in the crypto world and stuff like that. This is at least at minimum trying to make sure that you are cognizant of the abilities of people and that social engineering is a real, real thing so that you can just take even a couple of seconds to stop and think before you do something that could be potentially catastrophic to your money. I don't want you to think, oh, I have to have a, a VPN that does 30 hops before I connect up to a web three <laughs> application or, or something like that. Like that's, that's not what it is, but what you should do is just periodically remind yourself to be cognizant that there are bad actors out there. There are people that are going to potentially try to scam you and not to react so quickly to it that you make a bad decision. Just be cognizant, be smart about it. Absolutely. And we, I think we've all, everybody that's listening now and in the future has probably been, uh, and there's been an attempt to social engineering on you, especially if you're in Telegram, it runs rampant. Uh, on, on Twitter as well, you see you post a comment. If you even mention 
Trust Wallet, MetaMask, uh, SafeMoon Wallet, any any wallet, you're going to get a slew of comments. And they're getting very crafty. If you look at them, they set up these profiles that look legit. And they're like, oh, I had a similar issue. And this person was able to help me. Uh, it's a scam, right? That's that's a, a phishing and a social engineering type scam. Uh, so we've just about all of us, I, I, would, I would venture to say that nobody listening here has not been at least attempted uh, you know, at those actions. So, uh, be aware. And that's, that's going to do it on, on the last note, before we do cut it off, I do want to just remind you about, uh, uh, everything that's happening with, uh, affinity next gen and everything else that we've got going forward. Uh, we're not going to go into too much detail right now in the podcast. Uh, we we've had Twitter spaces. We're going to be holding more Twitter spaces and more telegram voice chats and everything else to follow up. Uh, I just do want to remind you, to keep a close eye, keep a close ear, and, and watch what's going on. Uh, a lot more information to come. Uh, we're going to be putting that out as quickly as we get it and everything else that we're doing. So uh, that being said, I hope you all enjoy the rest of your Sunday um, and you know, spend some time with your friends, family, by yourself, read a book, go outside, play some video games, whatever it is that you decide you want to do. Uh, Spend a little less time on social media if you can. Uh, it's great for information, but it does wear on you uh, mentally and, and emotionally. So uh, try to spend some time elsewhere. We'll always be here. And on that note, uh, we are going to end this podcast for the week. Another great episode in the books. Uh, thank you to uh, Paul and Chris for another great show. I love doing these with you guys. And thank you to Bo and the entire staff at DV Radio for hosting us and doing our edits and all the other great stuff that uh, they do there at DV Radio. Uh, I appreciate it, and we will talk to you all next time. Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. 